mentioned in his prayers, and I think Matt uh, in the opening announcements were uh, talking about uh, some stories from the Old Testament, some Bible stories that we probably all grew up with, we've all heard. We're going to talk about, uh, sometimes it's called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sometimes it's called the three Hebrew children, sometimes it's called the story of the fiery furnace, all of those uh, refer to the same story. We're going to talk about the faith that these uh, these uh, Hebrew children or these uh, three young Jewish men had. And we're going to talk about what we can learn from the faith that these three men had. Um, appreciate the audience this morning. If you'll turn to Daniel chapter three, we're going to it'll be on the board. But if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, um, you might turn to Daniel chapter three. We're ultimately going to read that entire chapter. Before we do that, a little background, a little bit of history. The book of Daniel begins in about 600 years before Christ, B.C. Some 597, 605, depending on, depending on your historical, your historians uh, will uh, differ there four or five years. You know, back uh, that, far, that far back, the records just aren't as, as good as they are today. Jehoiakim is the uh, king of Judah, the king of uh, the the the, uh, the the kingdom has been divided, and he is the king of the southern kingdom of uh, of Judah. And Shadrach is one of the main characters in this story. His original name was Hananiah, which means Jehovah who is gracious. So when we think about these uh, these three men, we can get a lot their names. We can start learning a little bit about them. Meshach was Michelle, who, uh, and the meaning was, who is like God? Not meaning that he was like God, but with the question mark. Who is like God? Uh, Abednego was Azariah, and that means Jehovah has helped. So we have these three characters, and they've been taken from their homelands, along with Daniel, and they've been brought to this uh, country or this kingdom or this this reigning Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king. We recognized him from that uh, from that uh, that historical time setting. He had the big dream and that Daniel ultimately interpreted. There's just a lot of cool stories in the book of Daniel. Brother Dusty talked about um, Daniel and the lion's den a few, a few weeks ago. In that story, we're further along in history, we're further along in Daniel, and King Nebuchadnezzar is not the king anymore. In fact, Babylon, I think, has gone away, and Assyria is the king of, there's a king of Assyria is the one that ultimately puts uh, Daniel in the lion's den. So that's a little bit of background on the story. Uh, Brother Matt uh, threw this up when he was uh, talking about uh, Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. So we're right here in this, what's called the first deportation was in 597 B.C. So that's where this uh, southern kingdom of Judah, that's where these men were taken from Jerusalem and exiled into Babylon, which is, I don't know, is that modern-day Iraq? Is that where we invaded? I think Babylon is uh, close to the city that Saddam Hussein was in, right in that general geographical area. They were exiled there in this first deportation around 597. So that's where we pick up the story. That's the historical background. Daniel chapter 3. 
Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the psalters, the, the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So stop right there for a second. First of all, let's get a little perspective. We don't measure things in cubits anymore. So a cubit was the measurement from the tip of the finger to the elbow, as I understand it. We equate that to about 18 inches today. So 60 cubits would be 90 foot tall. So again, for us to get a little perspective, Big Tex is 37 cubits tall. He's about 55 foot tall. This statue was 90 feet tall. So almost twice as high as Big Tex, if you've ever walked in the state of Texas. So it's a big, tall, this image, and it's all made of gold, 90 feet tall, over 60 cubits. Big text is about 37 cubits. So that's kind of the perspective of this big statue. He sets it up in the plain of Dura, and he calls, there's a lot of fancy names there, so if this was the President of the United States, he'd be calling the members of the Senate, the members of the Congress, He'd be calling the governors of the state, maybe a few mayors of the big cities. He'd be calling in his uh, chiefs of staff. He'd be calling in all his counselors and all of the people around him, all of the important people. And so he calls all these people in. And he's starting right here. He says, so the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So one thing we learn about... The Hebrew writings is that they like to include a long list of everything, and they like to repeat it for emphasis a lot. So we're going to hear a lot about that group of people that was called together. We're going to hear a lot about these these psalteries and harps and lyres and all these uh, these things that he sets up here. And whosoever does not fall down is going to be uh, immediately uh, cast in the midst of the burning party furnace. So at that time, then all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, and the lyre in symphony with all kinds of music. All the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the band starts playing, and everybody falls down and worships this 90-foot-tall gold, full gold image. They'll tell them what that would cost in, in today's money. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whosoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So we've got to repeat the whole story again. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you 
desert in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these Chaldeans come in and they say, hey, king, first of all, they blow him up, right? They say, hey, oh, king, live forever. You're the best. Hey, when the band started playing, there were some Jews that didn't do what you said. It was a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't fall down. They didn't worship your gods. And so the king gets immediately mad. Now, these are guys that he placed in authority, these, these three Hebrew men. He placed them in authority. So they brought these men before the king, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, it is, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at this time, you to, it, now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? So the king brings them in and says, I have been told this story. just want to make sure it's true. He said, if I reset the band, if we start all over again from the very first note, I reset the band and they play through and all kinds of symphonies and music plays, would you guys fall down and worship this image or not? If you do, that's good. If you don't, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. So this is kind of where they say the, the rubber hits the road, right? It's decision time. All of us face these types of decisions in our life. It might not be life or death, but we face them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Now that took pretty good guts. They said, hey... It's not even worthy of an answer. King, it's not even worthy of an answer. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That certain men of valor, mighty men, means that they're going to bind them up right because they don't want to be accused of these guys getting loose, right? and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their garments, and were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, of course, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Luckily, that's not the end of the story. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, 
the satraps and administrators, governors, and kings, counselors gathered together. They saw these men in whose bodies the fire had no power. Their hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. And the smell of fire was not on them. I know all of you have probably been camping. You stood around the campfire, or you, some people may even have cooked on wood stoves or you know, when we smoke meats, right, we smoke it under wood to give it a flavor. No matter what type of wood you use, if you're around that fire for very long, you start smelling like smoke. These guys walked out, they didn't even smell like smoke. That's amazing to me. Not a hair singed on their head. Where did I stop? Angels and delivered his servants from trust seed. As Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces and their houses shall be made as ash heap. Because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So one thing you can say about King Nebuchadnezzar is he's no dummy, right? When these guys came out, and there wasn't a hair singed on their head, and they didn't even smell like smoke, he put his arm around these boys and said, these guys worship the right God. Let's promote them. Let's, let's give them honor in our kingdom. Let's give them more responsibility because this was amazing. It's a very beautiful story. I know it's a story that was one of my favorites when I grew up. What does it mean for us today? What can we get out of a story like that? The Bible tells us that the stories of the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our learning. So what can we learn from a story like that? It's a beautiful story. Obviously, it's a story of God's power. It's a story of God's power. There's not a hair singed on their head when they come out of that, that uh, furnace. First thing I'd like to notice is that, uh, you know, that the son, it says the Son of God was in the fire. And I'm convinced that the Son of God walks through life with us. He's our Savior. He's with us. Sometimes the answer to those trials and tribulations are we've got to suffer through them. You'll remember there's a poem out there, I think it's called Footprints in the Sand or something like that. And it talks and it tells a story about the guy who's walking along with Christ. And he's walking along with him, and everything's going good, and then he notices, he's looking at these footprints in the sand, and there's two feet side by side, and then all of a sudden, there's only one set of footprints, and the guy said, Lord, that was when I needed you the most, that was when I was in trouble, that's when I needed your, your guidance, I needed you the most, and the Lord said, that's when I was carrying you. See, the other footprint disappeared, wasn't the Lord's, it was the young man who was in trouble. And that's the way the Lord is with us. He stood in the midst of the fire with these three men, and he protected them to the point that not even a hair was singed on their head. Job said, though he may slay me, yet will I hope in him. You all know what Job went through. Job went through a lot, lost his family, lost I mean, terrible uh, disease, boils, lost everything that he had, lost all of his family, lost his health, lost everything. And yet, if the Lord, he said, if the Lord was to kill me, I would still have that's the kind of faith that we need to have. That's the kind of faith that will get us through those fires. The second thing I'd like you to notice is that, you know, we can't bring the world to Christ by becoming. 
the world, right? These three Hebrew children were different. They chose a different path. So, you know, we're given those choices every day, and they start off little choices like, um, what kind of language am I going to use? Bigger choices like, you know, where am I going to go for entertainment? What TV am I going to watch? What all, you know, what a... What, what kind of jokes am I going to listen to? What kind of places am I going to take my family? Am I going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ or am I going to follow the world? He says we'll be a peculiar people. We'll be different. We're not going to bow down to the images of this world. He tells us that's what we have to be to follow Him. We can't be like the rest of the world. We shouldn't look like the rest of the world if we're following Him. There's a higher power, a greater purpose, a superior morality. But bad things happen. And how do we deal with them? When bad things happen, when bad things come upon us, how do we how do we handle those things? Because they come they come in front of all of us. In fact, that's that's the number one argument that atheists use against Christianity. There was a survey done, and the survey asked if there was one question that you could ask God, what would it be? And the number one question was, if there is a God, why is there so much suffering going on in the world? Why is there so much evil? Why is there so much bad in the world? And I think that's an interesting question, and I think Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had to have had that answer to be able to say, I'm not worshiping that gold image. I'm worshiping this invisible God that showed himself in the fire. So how do we handle that? Bad things happen. Bad things happen to good people. The Bible tells us these things that I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So it's all right there. There's mathematical equation right there. It says, in the world there's tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So if we're in Christ, there's an ultimate win. Forget about the world. In the world there is tribulation. Yes, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There is bad things out there, but it happens to all people. Evil is everywhere. Again, it's the number one opposition to Christianity. The philosopher Epicurus put it this way, either God wants to abolish evil and cannot, or he can but does not want to, or he cannot and does not want to. If he wants to and cannot, he is impotent or he doesn't have any power. If he can and does not want to, he is wicked. But if God both can and wants to abolish evil, then how come evil exists in the world? So that's the riddle, right? That's the logical conundrum. And Christians, Christians believe that God exists, that God is all good, that he's all powerful, that he's all wise. But yet evil exists, and the atheists will tell you that that's a logical explanation of why God cannot exist. So how do we answer those things? How do we have a faith that's so strong that those kind of objections from the atheists don't upset us? Thinking about that for a minute, because this is important. God exists, so there is this almighty God. If he's all good, meaning he hates evil, can't be with evil, affords evil, he's all-powerful, he can do anything he wants to, and 
he's smart enough to do the right thing, then how can evil exist? He's smart enough to fix it, right? He's powerful enough to fix it. He doesn't like it. How can all of that exist at the same time? That's proof that there is no God according to the atheist, even according to the philosopher Epicurus. The Bible tells us to be careful about this thing. It says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. look at some things and let's, uh, let's try to solve this. First of all, God didn't create him. He created human beings and he created us with the free will to choose. And for there to be good, there had to be a choice of evil. So he created the possibility that there was evil out there, but he didn't create evil and he didn't bring it into this world. Man actualized it. In fact, Romans chapter 5 talks a lot about this. But in Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin or evil entered into the world, and death by that sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So God didn't create it. Man created it. Man brought it into this world. In fact, if you remember Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, after God got through with all of the creation, said, it is good. It was done. It was perfect. It was good. Unfortunately, unfortunately for us, Genesis chapter 3 happens, right? The serpent comes on the scene and tricks Adam into bringing sin into the world. God didn't bring it. God didn't create it. Man brought it. Secondly, uh, so the source of God is not God's power, but mankind's freedom. So, how do we how do we get past this? How do we how do we get past this conundrum? The Bible tells us that we look forward and we look up. It tells us, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So he gives us a clue here. He gives us a hint. He tells us to look at the things that aren't seen. Don't look at the things that are seen. He tells us that our afflictions are light and that they're but for a moment. And that's key to this whole thing. They're light and they're but for a moment. He also tells us, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us, Romans chapter 8. Another hint is that however bad the suffering is, it doesn't compare to the reward that's going to be given to those that endure. Another hint. So solving the conundrum. Could God have created a world without evil as a choice? Yes. In fact, uh, an example of that would be the doll that you used to have. Not the ones that you put on your fingers and you shoot and they scream like monkeys, but the one that uh, you used to have as a child and you pull the string and it would say, I love you. I love you. Now, did the doll really love you? 
time he looked at Dusty, Dusty would say, I love you. That, because that was his only choice. He had no choice. I love you. We could have all been programmed and walked around with no freedom of choice and just said, I love you. But then what would the meaning of love be? Love is the most powerful thing in the universe. It is God. God is love. What meaning would it have had if he just programmed a bunch of mindless creatures to walk around saying, I love you. They had no choice to choose bad. It would have had no meaning. We would have just been robots. We would have been just like the ball with the string. So could he have created it? Yes, but we wouldn't have been humans. We wouldn't have been humans with free will and free choice. The amazing thing is that even though God didn't create evil, he made it a possibility. He had the foresight to know that somebody somewhere at some time was going to choose evil. That somebody somewhere was going to choose evil. And from the very beginning, he had a fix for it. That's the amazing thing about the Savior, that the Savior that we serve. So the answer to Epicurus and the answer to these atheists that bring this up, it's all about timing. God has already fixed it. So think about the cross, right? At the cross, the Savior, and again, we have a Savior that's been touched with our afflictions. We don't serve a God. He was perfectly within His right to sit on the throne of heaven and say, you guys messed that up. Sorry. I created a perfect world. You chose evil. Good riddance. I believe, now this is Yancey, I can't find the scripture. I believe he'd have been perfectly justified in being that way because that's the way I think. <laughs> My kids did it, they messed it up. Okay. They gotta live for it. They gotta serve the consequences. Luckily, I wasn't the one on the throne. Because we serve a God that has been touched with our infirmities. We serve a God that said, I'm not gonna stay on the throne, I'm gonna become this man. And I'm gonna go to earth, and I'm going to be like the people, like a human. I'm going to be touched. I'm going to be hurt. I'm going to be broken. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to nail that rumor, that person that's got a problem with gossip and spread rumors, I'm going to nail that to the cross. I'm going to nail the bad thing that somebody said to you that offends you, I'm going to nail that to the cross. I'm going to nail the guy or boy or whoever that walked into Columbine and shot a bunch of kids, I'm going to nail that sin to the cross. I'm going to nail the sin of Hitler to the cross. I'm going to nail genocide to the cross. Now, I'm not saying all those people are soft or saved. I'm saying they have the opportunity because their sins could be forgiven because they were nailed all the sins for all time, forward, future, backwards, and forward, because of an infinite God, because a God that's all-powerful and almighty and all-knowing and all-seeing came to this earth, grabbed up all the sin for all time, and took them to the cross with him, and let us beat him, scourge him, put a cross on him, put a thorn in him, crown of thorns on his head, and bleed to stick a spear in his side. He came to the earth and let us do that to him to solve that conundrum that we've got. 
Yes, there can be a God. Yes, He can exist. He can be all-powerful. He can be all-knowing. And evil can exist because it has to for the death of the Son to have meaning. It has to so that you have a choice today of whether you're going to follow Jesus or whether you're going to follow the world. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a choice. I can worship the 90-foot-tall gold statue that is in the world, or I can stand up for the God that I love, that loved me enough that he sent his son here to serve. That solves the conundrum for me. I hope it solves that conundrum for you as to how God can exist in this world. And then the second thing is, I said to Epicurus, the answer is timing, is because we get all justice for the guy or the girl that cut us off, that said bad words to us, that treated our kids badly, that killed a bunch of kids in a school, that slaughtered millions of Jews. We want justice for those people because we're all about time. And we're like, well, we we say, well, they're going to get theirs in the end. And we have a hard time rationalizing that. But I want it right now. I want them to be dealt with right now. I want justice for them right now on this earth. Because we're all about time. Mm -hmm. We're all about that makes me feel good right now. But what we don't realize is that our life is but a vapor, it's but a flash, it's but a twinkle in an eye. And when this is all said and done, the fact that the guy lived 70 years before he met God and got his justice is not going to make any difference. Seventy years is nothing. It's instantaneous in God's eye. In our eye, it's seventy years. It's a long time. In God's eye, it's instantaneous. He got his, he got his reward. And that's why God can say everything works out for good for those that love the Lord. Because we might go through some trials and some stuff here on this earth, but at the end of the day, if we're saved with Him, that was nothing. It's all about time. You see, Christ on the cross, in a way, eliminated evil and suffering. Not that we're not going to have to go through a little bit of it for a little short time here on this earth. But it's it's so, that's what he said, it's light. Our afflictions are light. They're nothing to be compared with the glory that we're going to have when we get better. And so we need to, we need to kind of wrap our minds around a bigger picture than what's happening today or what's happening this week. We need to wrap our minds around this glorious coming of Christ or our glorious, uh, our death and our uh, raising with Him, whichever comes first. Some of us may die before Christ comes, some may not. Either way, it's a glorious result. And evil and suffering will have meant nothing. The fact that six million Jews, I don't remember the number, that might be a number, there's a bunch of people killed by Hitler. If they were if they were if they were in the right position, they wouldn't be with Christ. Yeah, Hitler was a terrible man. But they wouldn't be with Christ. It's over. They're with Christ. If they were in the right position, so what? 
promises, it's going to get to result. It's all going to be taken care of. So you've got choices to make. You've got choices every day to make. You've got choices to make as to whether I'm going to say the right thing, do the right thing, act the right way, be the right husband, be the right wife, whether I'm going to go to the right places, whether I'm going to watch the right things on TV. Everything that you choose is a choice of whether I'm going to serve the image, whether I'm serve the world, whether I'm going to serve Christ. If we can help you with that choice today, we serve, we would uh, be glad to do that. If you come and make your needs known, we're going to stand and sing an invitation song. If you need prayer of the church or if you need to join the church, come, and, come to the front seat. That's what you should be known to stand and sing the song.